born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. One of the things that we learn in life is that we lose a lot. A lot of things that might mean a lot to us, whether it's things, possessions, or you know, wealth or loved ones. We're always in the process of losing something. A lot of our preparation for a peace of mind is preparing to lose loved ones. Then it's true, probably many of you here have already lost your father. How many of y'all in here have already lost your father? Let me see your hands. Good night. Well, that's because y'all are so old. So that means you probably already lost your grandpa too. My grandson called me this morning, 6.30. Says, Happy Father's Day. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate you calling and getting me up in the middle of the night. I was already up though. But he says, how come I always call you on Father's Day, but you never call me on Sunday? I had to think for a minute, what? He said, you never call me on Sunday. Then I caught what he said. But anyway, I uh, want to share a few thoughts with you. First of all, I want you to take your Bible. Turn to the book of Romans and chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Believe it or not, what I'm going to talk to you about today is going to revolve around the loss of my son. He was 28 years old. He was brutally murdered. And uh, some things you say, well, how can I get over this? Well, some things you'll never get over. But you have to get on. Something you can't undo. It's the way it is. And some things you can't change. But what you have to watch is, is making sure that mentally you are prepared for whatever may come down the road. We're always told to set your affections on things above and trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee for he trusteth in the Lord Jehovah. For in the Lord Jehovah's everlasting strength, everlasting peace. Many people have a very hard time learning how to have a forgiving spirit. And you may have relatives, could be a mother, father, could be brothers and sisters, could be husband and wives, and you have a very difficult time forgiving someone who's ever hurt you. Some people are very easy to offend, and then they can 
carry grudges for the rest of their life. That is such a shame. Life is so short to go through life in a bitter way. You don't need to be bitter. And hopefully that some of the things I'll share with you today will help that. Here in Romans in chapter 12, in verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Just because your wife did you wrong doesn't mean you do her wrong back. Just because your husband did you wrong, you, you know, your kids did you wrong. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. Now, some things are not possible, but if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So that you and I do not have to take vengeance upon someone who wrongs us. In our country, we're able to have government take vengeance in our place. And they're to see that things are done justly. Then it says here in verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Be not overcome with evil. There is evil in this world, but don't let it overcome you. In the Old Testament, God says, God created evil. So well, that, that shouldn't be in the Bible, but it says that God created evil. It means that we can sin against one another, and people can sin against us. But God can create the consequences of the wrong that was done so that there's a payment that will be made, a certain amount of vengeance that comes, whether the person plans it that way or not. There's a law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. And so those things are important. Chapter 13 in verse 1, the reason we don't have to take vengeance against someone who wrongs us is because let every soul be subject unto the higher power. There is no higher power other than God. So even government is to be in subjection to the word of God, to the power of God. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. So God ordains government. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment or condemnation. For rulers are not a terror to good work, but to the evil. Will thou not then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, get this, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So there is a way that things are supposed to be handled. But sometimes we don't commit things to the Lord or we don't want to commit things to the government to take its proper place in society. I'll get back to some of these, but I do want to show you some of the things that that happened. I was in Colorado, and I would mentioned this just a week or so ago, about how that my son had been killed. And a man had taken a hammer and took out his face with the claw part of the hammer. There was blood all over the walls where my son had fought for his life. The guy took the hammer, threw it upon the roof of the building, and the money he had to pay his rent had been stolen. But they found the guy that did it, and he told them what he did. But they, they didn't read him his rights. 
So the evidence that was conclusive, not able to use against him because two detectives forgot to read him his rights. Now, I have to admit, I, I had a little bit of anger, a little bit of bitterness. I had just a tad of a revengeful spirit. This happened in the first part of 1991, and uh, the first week of January, when my brother, little man, Merle Arnold, called me up and told me that my son had been killed. So we had to go to Colorado. We was there for a memorial service, but it was months and months later when other things were going on, and they chose the date that I wasn't able to be there. So I was asked by the, the court if I would send a video telling them what I thought if I was there, what I would say. So I said some things to the, the DA and other lawyers in the room. They brought in other lawyers and students that were learning how to be lawyers, and they wanted them to critique what was happening in this case because it was later on appealed to the Supreme Court. My son was 28 years old. He had a lot of things going for him, but he made some wrong decisions too. And I knew God was going to chasten him, but I just didn't know when or how. But I knew God would. So therefore, you've got to turn some things over to the Lord. When I've done everything that I know to do with sometimes dealing with people, I just, Lord, I've done all I can do with that person. I'm turning them over to you. You can do with them whatever you think needs to be done. But I, I have boundaries on which I can literally you know, sustain myself the way that I think and feel. And I, I'm not superhuman. I can only do so much. But anyway, on this, I did have a mustache back then. I forgot about it until I just saw the picture. And that's Betty, and then my daughter Trina, and then David. He's the one that's standing next to my daughter. He's the one that was killed. And I hate to say it, but he looked an awful lot like me. Well, I shouldn't hate to say it. But, um, and then there's Eddie. Eddie now has a, a son. So this was, I guess, 27, 28 years ago. And so I was asked if I would say something to the court. I had no script. I did not know how long I was going to talk. I didn't know what I was going to say and how to formulate my direction. So I hemmed and hawed and couldn't get started because I really was kind of like in a state of shock trying to figure out how do you feel? You know, everybody's always, how do you feel? Well, sometimes you just don't know how. And so anyway, I'll just let you watch it and then I want to make some comments about it. Is Ralph Arnold and I'm the father of David Scott Arnold. I have been asked by the DA's office in Denver, Colorado to put together on video my thoughts concerning the of my son David and also concerning his killer and the sentencing of the man Norris Jones. Uh, this is a difficult thing to do. I wish I could be there in person 
and share with the court my feelings. I will try to explain to you as I understand them, and therefore I would like to, first of all, explain the case as I understood it. In January of 1991, I received a phone call stating that my son, David, had been killed. I went to Colorado and saw the picture verifying it was indeed my son. There was many things we could not get concerning his, his clothes or the apartment, but we did meet with the DA's office, and they explained to me the case as they understood it that my son had been found dead, perhaps being dead for about a week, and that through the manager of the apartments, who shared with them the description of a man that had been seen at the apartment. And therefore, detectives went and found this man in a restaurant on the street there in Denver. And so they tried to frisk him, but understanding that he had on, was not able to detect whether he had a weapon or not. And so they handcuffed him and put him into a patrol car and took him downtown where he was interrogated. As I understand it, that through this process, he voluntarily submitted to them a testimony of, of guilt that he had killed my son, explained how he did it, why he did it, and the weapon that he used, a hammer that he had killed him with. And then because of this, it was videotaped, and then later when the possibilities of going to trial was discussed, they were told that the possibilities of utilizing this evidence would be thrown out because Norse Jones's rights had been because they did not read to him his rights or they handcuffed him without real evidence that he was a guilty man. And therefore, I was informed that none of this evidence could be used against Norris Jones, the man who admitted that he killed David Arnold. So that was the case as I understood it. And of not being able to use any of this evidence that may have been conclusive in convicting Norris Jones. That it was rejected by the state Supreme Court and refused to be heard by the United States Supreme Court. And now because Norris Jones has admitted to first murder, manslaughter, that now he is willing to admit to a lesser crime for a lesser penalty, and therefore I have been called several times, wanted to know whether I be willing to accept a plea bargain. I want to express that I am never in favor of plea bargain, and I stated my DA's office. I believe if the man is guilty, prosecute him to the full extent of the law. If he's not, set him free. It's difficult for me to understand 
concerning the present solution that a man can plead guilty to first-degree manslaughter, admitting that it was not provoked, and can lie, and that be accepted by the courts, but the truth that he gave cannot be accepted. I don't like the plea bargain because it means that the man will not truly pay for his crime. Because is he paying for his crime when he is a man on the streets? So far give him perhaps two years that he's been in jail and to say that he has paid for the murder of another individual when he has received free room and board. So he hasn't been punished, he's been rewarded. I believe he has already received quite a bit of mercy. I believe that when a man commits murder, premeditated murder, then he should have his life forfeited. That has not been done, so he's received mercy. He's also receiving grace because he's getting something that he doesn't deserve. That is, he's getting his freedom, his liberty. He's getting a chance to live at an expense of someone else. My son was 28 years old. He has spent two years in jail and can be set free in what, another year? Because he's already served two years? Does that mean that in 28 years, divided by his two years, which means that the life of Norris Jones is worth 14 times that of my son? Should I consider that to the American way? That that's law? That it's right? It's the most difficult thing to understand. How that even if a couple detectives did violate the right of Norris Jones by not having justifiable cause to bring him in or to handcuff him or maybe didn't read his rights to him, if they didn't do those things, why not prosecute those men who violated Norris Jones's right? But it should not eliminate the evidence against him. That's difficult to understand. How that in a civilized society as the United States of America, this is what we meant. A professed criminal go free. We find ourselves in many of the courtrooms today where they are turning the rapist back on society and thieves back on society. And now we have a person who has admitted that he committed murder and then we're going to turn him loose again. Maybe the next time he kills the wife of the judge, maybe it'll be the defendant's child or maybe one of the lawyers, or someone sitting in this room. Who set him free? I didn't set him free. And it's difficult for me to believe that our laws have set him free. I believe there's a miscarriage of justice where a man who is guilty can be set a technicality in a law. Since when should a detective be able to, by his own discretion, whether it's ignorantly or on purpose, be able to, by his behavior, 
Because all the evidence that can be used against a man to sentence him can be dismissed because negligence on his part. What power? That's greater than a jury, greater than a courtroom. That's greater than the power of a judge. Yes, that's difficult for this preacher to understand. I believe that the life of Norris Jones should be forfeited, but that's not going to happen. That's not the way that the court's going to work. And the evidence could not be used. I don't like the plea bargain because I know that if the ever confesses and says, no, it was not something that was on the spur of the moment, that he had premeditated and came in while my son was sleeping and took his life, that he can never be tried again. That would be double jeopardy. And that concerns me. To think that a man can spend a couple years in jail and figure that the crime has been paid. That won't bring my boy back. No, I know that. But I do believe that we should try to protect those in society. I'd like to say a few words. One, to the man, Norris Jones, whom I have been told will be in the courtroom and listening to this videotape. Norris Jones, I've never met you in my life. Don't know anything about you. A few things that I've heard. But I want you to understand, first of all, that what you have done is a great and grievous sin to premeditate and take another man's life. But I want you to understand from God's viewpoint, God, in spite of everything that you've ever done or ever will do, God that created the heavens and the earth still loves you. He loves you in sin. And that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to down the cross to pay for what you've done wrong. And he says that if you would accept the payment that Jesus Christ made on that cross for you, that God would give you as a free gift everlasting life. And right where you are right now in this courtroom, God said that if you'd believe it and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God would forgive you of all your sin. He would save you and give you eternal life. If you've never done that, I urge you to do so. I also want to share with you my thoughts. A few years ago, I would have taken matters into my own hands, and I would make sure that justice had been rendered. But you see, the Bible teaches us something different, especially to those that believe His Word, something that God has revealed in His Word. And I hope that this court does not mind me sharing with you some that I believe are beneficial, not only to Norris Jones, but also to this court, to the judge who has to make a decision. And I pray that it will be to the maximum that the law will allow. This is what he says in the book of Romans and where I get my opinion from. In Romans and chapter 12, it says this, Recompense to no man evil for evil, things honest in the sight of all men. It means that because of the evil that you have done, I as an individual should not render evil for evil. I as a one person am not to take revenge upon you. So because of this, I too as a father of the son, David Arnold, I too forgive you. I will not try to render evil upon you because of what
I don't believe that that would be the will of God for me. He also makes a statement in verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. It means instead of me having wrath upon you, I give place, I give it room. Room for our government to work. Because God does not want individuals taking revenge. That's why government is instituted. That's why we have laws. And that's why we're to have righteous men in place of authority. To execute righteous laws for this very reason. And then he says here, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So that I am not to take vengeance. God will do so, but he is to do so through the government that is set up. Therefore, we have a court of law. Right and wrong. Statutes. That's why legislation is passed. So that individuals like me who hurt, who have perhaps a little... Uh, feelings of vengeance and a little wrath, control it and give place so that our government may work and do what they're supposed to do so that we as individuals and maybe in a moment of passion say or do something that we should not do as you have done. And this is why the Lord tells us in verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I cannot do you wrong because God prohibits that. But I can do you right. That's why I want you, Norris Jones, more than anything else in the world, to realize that though you may escape the full penalty of crime here because of some technicality in the law, you cannot escape the court of divine justice. There is one day every individual will give an account to God himself. And God will exact justice. And that's why I urge you right now, the best you know how, to accept God's forgiveness. And yes, you can still have eternal life and go to heaven whenever you... Because God loves you that much. I want you to understand that. So I have no feelings of bitterness or hatred towards you. I've committed all of that to the Lord. And I want God to have mercy upon your soul to save you, to give you eternal life. And I want government to show no mercy whatsoever because I want them to exact the full extent of the law and its punishment toward the crime that you... because this is what is done that is to be right in society. And here's why. It makes the statement in verse 2 of chapter 13, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power or the authority of government, power that's over us, Resisteth the ordinance of God, because government is under God's authority. And therefore government is to institute laws in agreement with the laws of God. And it says, And they that resist shall receive damnation or judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. That courtroom, those lawyers, the policemen, the detectives are there for our good. And we're not to fear them as long as we do right. But it says, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. 
For he beareth not the sword in vain, and I pray that our government does not bear its authority in vain. And I pray that this court will not misuse the power of the authority that they have. For he, this court, is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You've done wrong, and the crime should be paid. Were you ever told that you must confess Christ before men to be saved? Were you warned that if you refused to confess Christ, He would not confess you before the Father? Just what does that mean? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me